this episode, we go back to 1920s Chicago, where the famous blues singer, Ma Rainey, knew exactly what she wanted. You know, you're having orgies in the 20s with your girls, at the, your backing dancers. It's just like, how very dare you? But also, thank you very much for letting us know that, you know, women are allowed to do what the hell we want. I want to have an orgy. I'm going to have a bloody orgy. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be celebrating the film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with critic Aquia Jamfi as well as two women involved with the film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And today we focus on the film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, directed by George C. Wolfe and starring Viola Davis as the iconic blues singer during an eventful studio session. A one, a two. Uh, you know what to do. Based on a play by August Wilson, it's now on Netflix, our partners for this episode. This be an empty world without the blues. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with something. I'll be speaking to Taylor Page, who plays Mars' girlfriend, and I'll also chat to a casting director, A.V. Kaufman, who gives us a fascinating insight into the casting process. Where's the, uh, the horn player? I got a friend. Come on, Libby. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm going to get me a band and make me some records. I know how to play real music, not this jug band shit. We call that playing music. I know what I'm doing. Go on and fire me. I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. My first guest is the founder and managing director of The British Blacklist, a platform that celebrates and supports British, African and Caribbean creatives. She is Aquia Jamfi. Well, Aquia, welcome back to Girls on Film. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I'm glad you had me back. Oh, <laughs> I didn't put you off. Of course. We love having you. This, this is your third time, I think. Um, no, second. Se- oh, is it? Ooh, oh. you, I think you came on... Yeah, in International Women's Day a long time ago, one of our earliest episodes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the physical event. Do you know what? I've I just written off everything physical. I've forgotten <laughs> that we had a world outside audio and Zoom and stuff like that. So I totally forgot that we actually met up yeah, well, physically. It actually was. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. lovely in Annabelle's and hopefully we'll do so again soon. But um, yeah. meantime, we're connecting remotely and uh, give us a little update on the British blacklist first. What, what's going on with that? Oh, um, lots is happening. Um, lots more news, reviews and interviews as we do. And we are working on our talent database that we did actually when the British Blacklist launched, which is what it was all about, was this um, creative database of black talent across screen, stage, literature and sound. And um, just me being a crazy entrepreneur that, you know, has great ideas that doesn't know, nor necessarily know the scope of things. We'd have great ideas and put them out there. Um I took it down in 2014 to kind of a rebrand and a relaunch and a rethink of how it would best serve the industry. And so that thinking has been done and um, we're coming back in April. So it's a bit all um, 
boobs to the wall, as they say, <laughs> as we get, <laughs> as we hit our, we try and make the deadline and stuff like that. So it's really exciting. It's just been really busy all round. Oh, well, bravo. I'm looking forward to seeing all those exciting changes. And, um, yes. you know, the work you do is very important. And it seems to me that Ma Rainey is a very important film in lots of ways. Um, I've read your review on the site. Um, but for the listeners, would you like to explain what impressed you so much about this film? Why Ma Rainey is so important or what impressed me about it was just the fact that it is an August Wilson, Wilson play. He's such an important playwright. I mean, definitely African-American history and folklore that he does so well, but also it's translated to uh, the UK. We've had lots of adaptations. We had like Fences where Lenny Henry and Tanya Moody, I think, played the lead characters. Um, and for example, that's one of, one of uh, many um, adaptations for the UK. It's such an important story, such an important storyteller. And to translate Ma Rainey to the to, to screen from such a, 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 a such a closed, enclosed space play, I thought it was genius for the first part. And the story is so important, it's so timely because you've got a black woman who's taking ownership of her career, of her sexuality, of who she is, she's unapologetic. And in a time when we're all trying to discover and rediscover and connect with our identities as women in general. I think Ma Rainey is a, an underrepresented icon or, you know, we don't really know much about her or outside of maybe people who are fans of jazz and people who know black history, but in the wider scope, people don't really know who she was and how important she was. And I just was so impressed with um, the fact that this story worked on screen and the fact that Viola Davis embodied her so well, which we, I mean, we wouldn't expect any less, but it just really worked together in this closed set, especially because it's such an intimate play. I just think all the pieces came together really well. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. Well, I don't know that. And they're going to treat me the way I want to be treated, no matter how much it hurt them. It's so vivid, isn't it? You feel like you really are there. And it's so intense. I love that kind of real-time aspect. But you mentioned Viola's performance. I mean, let's come back to that, because she just transforms for this and is extraordinary and very entertaining as well. Viola is, as we know, she's... I mean, I'm sure it's annoying to have the um, Black Meryl Streep comparison, but that's what people kind of establish, you know, can, when you think of a great actress, you need someone to kind of bounce off of. But I mean, she is phenomenal in her own right, not to compare to anybody. She's a brilliant actress. There's, I don't think you, when you're casting Viola Davis, you're going to get a wrong foot to move. So there's that aside. But that aside, you know, it's hard to play a woman who wasn't conventionally pretty, who wasn't conventionally sized, um, and had like such a bawdy attitude. And I think Viola does take on strong women roles or troubled women or women that you don't necessarily like, but you admire at the very least. And I think this is a perfect fitting, but it is then adapting to this character and not being beautified. Because I mean, I spoke to um, cast and crew. I mean, I've spoken to crew, sorry. Um, and I actually, I think I spoke to her as well about how, what it was like having to kind of de-pretty yourself or <laughs> make yourself look less attractive even though not to say Ma Rainey wasn't attractive, but like I said, she wasn't a conventional beauty. So someone like Viola Davis, who has spoken long and, and many times about being a dark-skinned woman and the ideals of beauty that aren't afforded to black women in this time, um, that would be something that an actress, especially an actress who, you know, your, your cachet is your beauty or how you look, um, having to bring that down and take on this 
kind of rowdy woman, gold tooth, sweating, all the things that we women fight against. I mean, we'd never want to be sweaty. I mean, gosh, God forbid, and have our makeup running. I just think, and it's not about the looks or anything like that, but it's just, it's all part of this whole character. And I just think Viola did such did so well and to the way she um I was I was rewatching it yesterday and there were some nuances that she brought to Ma Rainey that it's just it's just it was so natural. It, I, I believed her. I really believed her. They're back there right now calling me all kind of name. Calling me everything but a child of God. But they can't do nothing else because they ain't got what they wanted yet. As soon as they get my boys down on one of them recording machines then it's just like I'd be some whore and they roll over and put their pants on. They ain't got no use for me then. I know what I'm talking about. You watch. And Irvin, he right there with the rest of them. He don't care nothing about me either. He been my manager for six years and the only time he had me over his house was to sing for some of his white friends. Huh, I know how they do. Yeah, you colored and you can make them some money, then you all right with them. Otherwise, you're just a dog in the alley. I'd have made them more money for my records and all them other recording artists they got put together, and then they want to bark about how much this session is costing them. I can't see how it's costing as much as they say. Shit ain't. I don't pay that kind of talk no mind. I love how refreshing it is, as you say, that I've never seen a character like her on screen on so many ways. Um, and one of those is her sexuality, which you refer to. Again, I love the way that you kind of, the, the interplay between her and her girlfriend is almost played out as you would normally see in a heterosexual um, relationship on film work with a very powerful man and his plaything. Can you speak to me a bit about that and how that worked for you? Yeah, because it's it's like we again we're, we're everyone's exploring their identity, what they align with, what they feel comfortable ex- um, showing on on screen or, or, or in public, I should say. So when it translates to screen and to an audience that might not be too receptive to that for whatever reason, it's really interesting to see that dynamic. And it wasn't forced in our face; it was very natural. And as you said, it was if you're heterosexual, it would it looked quote-unquote normal, because the, the heterosexual relationship is the normal one that we all look towards as being the proper relationship. And all other versions of relationships and love are put to the side or cast, you know, there's this versions cast on them. So this was really natural. And I loved like her little, you know, telling her girlfriend, Dusty May, what to do and when to do it and behave yourself. But then there was affection and there were nuances and slight touches and looks where she was like, this is my girl. And this is my girl. And in a time in, what, in the 20s, and and especially because homosexuality, it is it's, even in twenty twenty, it's twenty twenty one. Sorry, gosh, it seemed as such a new. It's still something that people are exploring and trying to figure out and try to understand. Yet it's been there, you know, the twenties and beyond that. So the fact that she's reestablished or re resetting our minds to actually something that existed before. So all the people that want to say, you know, this is unnatural and, you know, this is not normal and all that type of stuff. Well, look, we've got this story. We've got this woman who was living her truth unapologetically doing whatever she wanted, having her girlfriend on display. I mean, what the hell? And I read, did she not get busted for having lesbian orgies with her chorus girls or something? (laughs) I mean, how manly is that? Exactly. Rock on. <laughs> in, the, in the days when, you know, been a, being called out and we're trying to like work our... I mean, I think, look, that there's a real female empowerment in how to take ownership. And it's always, I feel there's a lot of conversations, especially on socials with the young folks, um, about women taking ownership and wh- whether they're called, you know, sluts or whatever. And um, if you have multiple partners at, before a certain time, you're just looked as unmarriable. And, you know, you're not that... <laughs> You're not a worthy wife or partner. 
And obviously men don't have that conversation leverage at them. But having someone like Ma Rainey or that portrayal of Ma Rainey, like, you know, you're having orgies in the 20s with your girls, at the, your backing dancers. It's just like, how very dare you? But also thank you very much for letting us know that, you know, women are allowed to do what the hell we want. I want to have an orgy. I'm going to have a bloody orgy. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Go, Ma. Um, I love how you sort of touched on there and also in your review about being her being famous and you know if she she'd be basically an influencer now and she'd be speaking her mind on social media um how do you think this film brings that relevance to that period because in a way it really is an exploration of fame in some ways isn't it yeah i mean i think it's that you know we had black lives matter and marini was about i mean she would be there'd be so many things she'd cover she'd be representing the lgbtq and there should be an icon there. And she'll be like, you know, we've had lots of conversations about with black women in music from Alexander Burke, Way BLK and um, Misha B, who've recently spoken out about their their experiences being black women in the music industry. Ma Rainey would speak to that as an influencer. And then generally just, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, the way that her white managers and bosses control, try to control her career and she doesn't have ownership and the fact that her songs can as happened to a lot of black artists their songs are remixed and revamped and redone by white bands and maybe they'd be going on to be more successful but the root core of it all is the soul and the r&b and the blues that comes from our pain and struggle another voice another influential topic and icon that she would represent and also just um I think, and also like a middle finger to the patriarchy. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to be dictated to. So there's so many movements from Me Too to Time's Up to, you know, LGBTQ to Black Lives Matter. She would be, I believe, especially if she was younger and right in the hub of it, she'd be such an icon. I'm sure she'd have millions of followers. Totally, (laughs) totally. I love that. Um, This, of course, has been long listed for many BAFTAs, quite rightly. Um, how important do you think it is that awards season is recognising this film in particular? Um, I think, it's, I feel like it's not about recognising it for recognising sake. I don't think, mm, I don't think, I want it to be the fact that this is recognised because it is a bloody good film, right? It's a bloody good screenplay, bloody good cast, bloody good direction. So that's it. It doesn't have to be like, you know, because it's a black film and it's a let's remove all of that equal playing field. It's a bloody good film. And if you like it and you think it's quality, let it be nominated. If you don't, fine, but make it because you just genuinely don't like it for real reasons, not because you're biased, racist or, you know, you just don't buy it. You don't understand it. So you're not going to bother with it. I just I just think equal playing field. So it's important that it's recognised for the brilliance. But that's my opinion. I think it's brilliant. Where I can vote, I will be. If you don't think it's brilliant, make sure your reasons are valid and that's it. But so it's important that it's on a level playing field. So I hope it's about the industry, the awards, all the nominee, all the awards bodies and juries and all that type of stuff are looking at films like this with a fair eye. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit more because you have spoken to Viola. Is there anything else that she shared with you that really stuck with you? Um, gosh, that was, it was a while back and I didn't re- re-watch it. But I just, I think in, in all, it was that, um, I think what she took away from Marini and it's, it's, it's Marini's unapologeticness. And I think we associate that with Viola, but for her to even take on some more of that from this character and really feel something from what the character that she played, I think that's what we all need to be a bit more of because 
we've been so browbeaten and beaten down out of our characters. We've got to conform to what society says we are and we need to take ownership of who we are and be unapologetic. And I think that's really, really important. Um, because with un being unapologetic means you're standing in your truth. And if you're standing in your truth, people can't shake you off your ground and rock your ideals and your morals and you're not easily led. And you don't be such a we're not such lemmings if we're um, standing in our own truth and confident in it. So that's kind of where my head's at. And that's kind of what I got from speaking to Viola about her, what she took away from playing Ma Rainey. It's just that being unapologetic and middle finger to it all, to be honest. Well, it's said. all the bad stuff, not the good stuff, the bad stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's an amazing performance. I could watch it again and again. Every time I watch it, I get something new from it. It's so nuanced, isn't it? Yeah, um, it really is. Well, it really, really is. Queer, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. Come back and see us again soon. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. Thank Great. you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Aquia Jamfi. My next guest is one of the stars of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She began as a ballet dancer and appeared in the series Hit the Floor. She plays the lead in the upcoming Sundance film Zola. In Ma Rainey, she plays Ma's bisexual girlfriend, Dussie May. She is Taylor Page. Well, Taylor, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we loved your performance in Ma Rainey. What a great character. What were the joys of playing her? Oh my gosh, what weren't the joys? It was just, I mean, pretty powerful to be surrounded with so much light and so much just all of those incredible forces, you know? You've got Viola on one side, you've got Chadwick, you've got George, you've got Denzel, you've got Coleman Domingo, you've got Michael, you've got, it just was, I don't know, I just love her spontaneity. I just love her, um, Dusty's means of survival is kind of, as much as, you know, as much as she's perceived as like, you know, she's having fun and she's sexual and she's an opportunist, she's actually like, it's, I feel like she's quite childlike and really like an engaged observer that's trying to figure out how to make uh how to make sure that her energy is respond uh, that her her energy is valued and just the t I don't know it was just it was fun it was really 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 fun being in those clothes and Roth like the costumes are amazing, aren't they? And it, it's, it feels like a really vivid depiction of the 20s. Um, did you get a real sense for the period when you got your costume on and you heard the music? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and those sets, it was just, yeah, overall, like, you know, I'd put on, it, it was funny, you know, because we're, obviously it takes place pretty much in just one day. So being in that one thing, I think, like, yeah, it becomes you. That's interesting. Yeah. So that is that all encompassing that kind of 24 hour almost thing. You, you're kind of feeling it as you're recording. Yes. Yeah. I just felt like George gave us the opportunity to play. And I remember thanking him at the end, like, thank you for giving me the freedom to play. And he was like, that's an innate part of who you are. Like, you know, like you don't, you know, make sure you protect that. I don't, it was just, it was, it was everything you could ask for as an artist, you know? Well, the dynamic between you and Viola is absolutely fantastic. And I, I loved seeing the scenes with the two of you and watching you. The, the interaction between you. I thought it was really interesting because I think we're much more used to seeing powerful men 
in those kind of relationships on screen than we are women. And to see two That's women, right. that was so fascinating. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about that from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I love, <laughs> I love, we, I mean, I think we all can agree. We love to see a strong woman. I think I approached their relationship though, like I would any relationship, you know, like they're figuring it out, but there's obviously an atmosphere that we're in the 1920s. Like, you know, where, I mean, the, the racial disparity and the time we're in, it's, it's all so heavy that um, the relationship is a little bit of, like a bit of an escape, but also just, I mean, I think back then, I think, you know, you wake up, I think, I think, you know, you wake up in the 1920s, you remember who you're the descendants of, right? Like slavery was just yesterday. And you you're you wake up and you don't know I think you know your your um your reflection I think on um mortality is a lot more glaring just because you could look at someone the wrong way and end up dead or you could just you know so I just feel like everyone lived uh like day to day, like, okay, so what are we doing today? Okay, cool. We're going to the studio, you know, just. Yeah. That, that sense you're right of, of um, life is short and we have to live. And that really does come across in that film. But as you say, it's undercut with this really, really serious series of monologues that display just how terrifying life was then for many of the people that you're watching. Um, Do you have any. process it. Yeah. Yeah, do you have any particular scenes that when you either read the script or or watched the film back that really hit you in the gut? Oh man. I mean, all of them. I think it's so powerful that August Wilson, who is just such a treasure to di- like everything he's saying that we're everything we're everything you watched or words he wrote in the past, talking about our past that connects us to our future. I think I discover something new about it every time I watch it. I just, I watch it and I cry and like take a deep breath because it's just so beautiful. Like the magic that comes out of such suffering and pain, but what finds all of these people and just their honesty. I just, yeah. <laughs> Talk to me more about Viola and working with her. What kind of conversations did you have about the interplay between your characters? And did you feel like you were learning? Obviously, your performance is fantastic, but she's been in the game a while. <laughs> did you feel like you oh, learned yeah. anything from her? She's a, she's a beast. She's incredible. She's magic. She's also quite the comedian. Like, oh, we yeah? just crack up in between. Oh, yeah. She's funny. She's so funny. Um, but... What kind she, of stuff does she get up to to crack you up? I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, we shot this in 2019. I just, we talked about food and drinks and people and the world and Trump and just life. Like she just has a funny way of delivering it in a very, very um, open and fair, but powerful view of the world and how this thing, how this planet spins, you know, it was just fun to just kind of bounce things. Like I felt like between takes, we were like playing ping pong. But um, I think it was because we were able to be so playful in real life and we would go to dinner. We went to an amusement park one day, one weekend. That was hilarious. Like we went with her daughter and a couple of um, 
a couple of the crew. It was really funny. But I just think we just were like, look, we know who these people are. Like, let's just let's just play. We know what the stakes are. Um, let's lend ourselves in service of the truth. And I just, I think I have to give it to George. He, George C. Wolf had us rehearse, you know? We rehearsed for two and a half weeks before. We'd always rehearse. We would always rehearse before we started filming on the day. Clear of crew, clear of anyone, but just us. I'm so proud of them. And just, mm-hmm. I mean, Viola just, she leaves you just mesmerized, you know? And and she like gave Ma so much humanity and integrity, and you can see her processing and see her like, you know, like standing up for her worth in a time where that's even odd. And just, it's, I don't know who. I mean, she just Iola is just something else. I'm on my way, crazy as I can be. I feel like what makes um, what makes this our film, this play, this piece of work so special is just it's satisfying in that everyone's so curious, but everyone's just kind of bouncing off of one another. And again, like it's just what comes to me is just processing, processing, processing. Like we're all black, <laughs> we all have dreams. I think even for me as Dusty, it's like Dusty knows she's not going back. She doesn't know where she's going, but she knows she's not going back. I just think, she's like, yeah. maybe if I swing my hips this way, maybe if I say it like this, maybe next time I can be the, I can introduce the band. Or I, you know, they'll know that, or also like, I'll play my cards right with left. Like, she's just, it's childlike, it's survival. It's, um, and, and, also, like, deep, I think at everyone's purest, it's like, we just all want love. You know, who's ever, whoever is going to give that to us. So, Dusty and Ma and Levy and Cutler, they all, you know, are all, like, just wounded little, wounded children, really. You know? That's beautifully put. Listen, is there anything else about the film or your work in general you wanted to share with the girls on film listeners before I let you go? There's no must in art because art is free. And I just thank George for given the the parameters of something that was, you know, that was taken from the stage to film. I just, I really appreciate the freedom that he gifted us in figuring out who these people were and honoring them, these souls that, again, Ma and the band were, they lived, but we don't really know their names. And I, but I approached, I felt like before I took on the role, I just, I prayed to my ancestors. I prayed to those that have come before me because I feel like all of these people, like there would be no me without them. You know, there was someone 
1921 and 1922 and 1925 who was figuring out their worth in a world that told them they were worth shit. And I'm just thankful. And um, I just hope I can continue to tell stories that expand my soul and I get to honor this, just this gift of being alive and people who were alive before me. And it's a, I just, it's pretty magnificent. I'm, and I think it's, I thank you for even being interested in talking to me. Like, it's just all so bizarre. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure you will continue to tell wonderful stories. And I do hope you'll come back on Girls on Film and tell us all about them. But I mean, I th- th- thank you for sharing so honestly and, and so spiritually. It's really been appreciated. Thank you so much, Taylor. Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. That was Taylor Page. My final guest is a casting director known for her work on Brokeback Mountain, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, Relic and much more. And she helped assemble the cast for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She is Avi Kaufman. Well, Avi, welcome to Girls on Film. Oh, how lovely to, to be invited. Thank you. Oh, well, we, we'd love um, to hear more about your work because, believe it or not, you're the first casting director we've had on the podcast. Um, so it's great to have you Thank with us. You. Um, we'd love you, if you don't mind, give the listeners a brief overview of how your job works because some of our listeners are in the industry, but some are not. Right. Uh, well, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was based on a, on a play from August Wilson. And he wrote it in the 80s, uh, 1984 or 5. Uh, based on you know the blues, the music um, from the 1920s, and to honor to work with George Wolfe, who's an amazing theater director, as um, and and Viola and Chadwick were part of this uh, team once I started uh, the casting process, and um, and there was there was you know uh, putting the band together was 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 the focal point in the beginning and then we started to stretch it out with um everybody that uh vile I, I don't know if people know about the play so i don't want to assume but but she's got you know a recording label and um so the rest of the cast we just auditioned with george and um started attaching other actors who would read for the parts and how long does that process typically take it took around six weeks and there was some parts that were slower to cast once we went on location but about six seven weeks and what kind of qualities were you looking for in your actors obviously there's a lot of very different parts but if you could uh, specify some I'd be really interested to know so there's an actor named Jeremy Seamus who's a who's a New York actor and he played the role of of Irving who was the manager of Ma Rainey. And it was very interesting because I grew up in the South and, um, you know, it looks like the world just keeps revolving around itself with the issues that come up, whether it's, you know, uh, segregation or or what, but this, this, this script really showed it right, bright in our eyes the way that um, the racial tension in Chicago was in the 20s. But what was interesting about Irving, who plays um, uh, the manager, is um, he was on his best behavior with Viola. It, was, it wasn't what you would assume. He didn't tell her what to do. She told him what to do. So that was kind of wonderfully refreshing. 
Um, and so to find an actor who could play opposite Viola and keep up with Viola uh, was, was, was a lot of fun. And Jeremy did that. And another actor, Johnny Coyne, who's actually British, um, also played, you know, he was the head of the record label. And he too, the, the energy of watching everybody sort of da dance around Viola and how to bring out the performances. Um, and and it, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun ping pong match for me. And I, I'll go one more is, is Taylor Page, Jessie Mae, because that was, you know, she was the right hand for Viola. And so to see, to have someone to look up to Ma Rainey with a lot of respect and then Chadwick's character of Levy um, coming on to her and flirting with her. So she had to really sort of play both sides in a, in a fun, in a fun world. Um, and, and it really gave you the flavor of the energy of jazz and the blues back, back in that period. I love that you mentioned Taylor because we're speaking to her in this podcast and I do think she's so well cast and there's a wonderful kind of dynamic between her and Viola. Would you like to speak a bit more about how that played out on screen from your perspective, the two women working together? It was so, it's, 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 it's an interesting process. I mean, part of what I believe my job is, is, is when I get a script and I, and I read it, I need to get into the director's head because the way uh, one sees to cast it isn't the way obviously everybody sees to cast it. And, um, and we read a lot of actresses. We read uh, many, many, many actresses. Um, and I loved it when George all of a sudden is going to be Taylor. Um, she had everything that I think the character was, was looking for because she, she could play with Viola in that way of, yes, ma'am, I'm here for you. I'm your, I'm your singer. I'm your playmate. I'm your, and then she would give, um, Chadwick kind of a rough time. It's like, you can't come on to me so easy. I mean, she was, she was playful and she knew exactly where her elements were. She, she knew where to pull and where to push. She was fun. She was fun. She gives it a, a really fun, playful character. Yeah, it's a fun light touch, isn't it? I really enjoyed their scenes together. Um, in terms of the finished product, and obviously Viola's performance is extraordinary, what would you highlight uh, you know, in terms of her greatest strengths and what she brought to that role? Well, first of all, she owns, I mean, that's something about a tremendous, a real actor is when you see that they, 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 they own this role. It is so hard to be a good actor. I am, I am spellbound when I see these performances. Um, I don't, you know, she, um, I mean, how adorable she kept having to drink her Coca-Colas and she would snap her fingers and they would have to be brought to her. Um, I don't know her personally, but I know that she's a loving, tender woman and to see her feisty as Dussie May and know that she needs, she knows exactly what she needs from every character that walks into her life. And she, um, she, she just, she owned the part the minute you saw how she looked physically to giving her beautiful, you know, the way that she was singing, singing. I mean, she, um, I, I can't pinpoint one 
one part of her performance. I just thought that it was brilliant to watch her. She's she owned her costumes. Even 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 the way that they dressed her was so much fun. And um, she knew how to walk in that dress. She knew how to she knew how to present her the way that she used her body when she was singing. It was just a full full presence. Well, you mentioned um, the casting at the beginning and, and certain considerations, but when you're casting for a time period like this, um, are you looking for different things? Is there is there something very specific and a lot of research that goes into getting the right actors for that time period? That's a great question because I do. I'm sure we all do. It's That's why bringing Jeremy Seamus and Johnny Coyne in for those particular parts, it may feel like it's typecast, like, but I really, I always look at faces and periods um, of all the films that I do that are, that are period films. Um, yeah, you have to really sort of study, even the policeman. Um, Joshua Harto plays the policeman when, when Desi May all of a sudden gets into like a little car accident and that was like what your image or if you look in the news clips of policemen in the south it's you feel like you're typecasting but um they did give a particular energy that that i'm always looking for when i'm doing period pieces and do you detail that when you do a casting call a little, little bit or do you find that it sort of evolves when people come in for auditions and it becomes clear no, no, no. It's it's whomever we bring in, um, you know, and you're not always spot on and you're going, oh, yeah. He, because there's really a modern, you know, there's there's an old fashioned face and a modern face. I mean, you know, um, it's it's so it's so curious and, and and interesting to nail. It's so much fun to try to just try to nail the period. It's interesting because I'm not going to say which films, but there have been films where I felt like someone's face just looks wrong for a period. So it's really interesting to hear you say that because I find it hard to pinpoint. But obviously, you must be very good at that. Um, as a casting director, I'm talking a bit more widely. I'm interested to know, have you seen a shift in terms of representation on screen, in terms of gender and diversity in general? And that's a very broad question, but um, you've been doing fantastic work for a while. Do you think things are moving on? I try to, to, to stay focused and clear on what's real. It's not that I'm, you know, trying to cast docudramas, but, you know, I, I know how important diversity is because that's life. And I just feel like if we're honest to, to what we're bringing to, to, to everyone's vision, we, we must be. So I, I feel that we're paying more attention um, you know, whether it be, you know, different ethnicities, whether, you know, I mean, I mean the, the spectrum of life, it's, 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 it's our obligation to, to bring it for, forefront. So I feel that we're, 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 I feel that we are paying more attention to it. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I hope we're honest in doing so. Because I don't think just casting, you know, a certain person because we we have to meet a standard isn't isn't honest. So I, I think if we all pay attention to to the best way to to be honest. Thank you. I That's mean, I live in New York City. I, I I live in New York. I take the subway. Um, I, sometimes I just look around and try and guess what people do for a living, and I bet you've got every financial person in one car 
sometimes. And that's the way life is in, you know, in certain cities, of course. That's so interesting. So what qualities would you say make a good casting director? Obviously, you have to be great at observing people and figuring them out. What else? It's, it's, it's such a unique field because you don't study it. I, I studied to be a dancer and obviously <laughs> I didn't make it. But, um, you know, I, I, I personally live with my gut and I try to, you know, you, you, you've got years behind, so you, you, you've got to actually believe in your gut. Um, I love bouncing with, with people because I love to, you know, those who disagree with me, I want to know why. Um, I can't really answer that question for others because even when I bring in people to work in my office, it's, it's a gut to, to ask them to be part of the office. They can't show you what they're going to do, you know. So it's it's not like they're writers and I can read something to go, oh, I see that gift. I, I kind of have to trust my gut with hiring people as well. How big is your team? Um, we have uh, three associates and three assistants. So at what point do you see the people auditioning? Is it, do, do you have someone sort of doing the first stage and you come in later or? Oh, no, 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 no. I, uh, well, you know, the process of casting during this pandemic is just a whole different conversation because it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Everyone's taping now and, and people are, aren't finding actors to tape with. So sometimes, you know, someone's husband is reading with them and then you see the background and I mean, it's a whole different world. But but back in the olden days uh, in my office, I'm in every audition because I've got to, I mean, if I have to go take a phone call or something, but I need to feel the actor. I, I need to be in that room. And, and that's why during this pandemic, um, you know, everything's virtual. So we're missing that one element of a, of a, of a feeling, of a, of a physical feeling. And in the process of my rainy, George came down to the office. And um, so what we do is I would send him a lot of tapes and um, some actors clips of their work. And then he would let us know who he wanted to see in person. And then we would have the uh, sessions in person. And do you remember any magical moments where someone came in and you just thought, okay, this is it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But sometimes it's just me looking at my assistant or associate with a wink going like, oh my God, they did it. Um, and then I get so excited. Um, it's got to be so hard. I mean, it's, you know, to come in and audition. I mean, if anything, you just got to make them feel like you're safe to do whatever you wish. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to walk into a room of strangers, right? That's lovely to hear because you do hear some very horrible kind of stereotypical things about scary casting rooms and incredibly intimidating, <laughs> dismissive people. But you sound like you're not like that at all, which is really nice. <laughs> I've been to those uncomfortable dinner parties. That's the last thing I'm going to put anybody else through. <laughs> Amazing. Um, is there anything else about Ma Rainey you wanted to highlight in terms of the performances? And of course, you know, music comes into it so much. Maybe we want to speak a little bit about about that in the casting process. The, the, how much fun is the music? I mean, it's, um, I don't know. It just makes you smile. It's, it's feel good. And, and you can't let this go by without saying that um, 
Chadwick's performance was beyond and um, his performance was beyond. It just, I thought it was one of the most brilliant performances that I've ever seen of someone really digging deep into the emotional breakdown of that character. It was, I think it stayed in my body for days after I saw the film. So George did an amazing job as well as every, everybody in the movie. I'm just so proud of everybody. I, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled that you invited me and, and that I just wanted to say thank you because that's a, that's a, that's a lovely compliment to be part of, part of your, um, your work. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Well, you know, we're big admirers of, of your work and, and, and Ma Rainey. And as I say, it's really nice to talk to, we speak to a lot of filmmakers and a lot of actors, but it's really nice to hear more about your specific job. So thank you. That was A.V. Kaufman. You can watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix now. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Tom Wally, assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana Jay, and our partners for this episode, Netflix. Do follow us and message us on social media. You can find all the addresses in the episode description. Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Avi Kaufman, Taylor Page and Akria Jamfi. See you soon and stay safe. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up myself.